We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging seas. My God, he holds the victory.
praise you, Father God. Amen. Let's continue to worship him this morning. Amen. Let's put our hands together in this place.
is able and he is faithful through everything. Amen. Let's continue to worship the one and only God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. We lift you up in this place today.
give praise to you, Father, in the good and the bad, Lord. Amen. Amen. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord, for he is what? Good. Give thanks to the God of gods, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to him who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, spread out the earth before the waters, made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, and the moon and stars to govern the night. His love endures forever. Amen. Amen. We serve a great, great God. Lord, we're just so grateful for you, Jesus. We're so grateful for your presence in this place. And we pray that, uh, that during these this moments and this time together, that your spirit would speak loudly and clearly to our hearts and lives. In the mighty name of Jesus, and everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, let's take some of that goodness we've experienced and let's take some time and greet each other this morning. God bless you. That's right. We say it every Sunday. You are welcome. And if you are a guest here today at Praise Assembly, we want to welcome you especially and say thank you for being here. Uh, in front of you, in the seat in front of you, you'll see uh, our welcome uh, connect card. If you could fill that out and return it to our uh, guest services desk in the lobby, that would be outstanding, helpful, wonderful, and everything. We appreciate you doing that. And as our ushers come, we want to receive this morning's tithes and offerings and... Uh, you know, it is said that when we give, we are most like God. And how many have found that to be true, that you feel the most, uh, uh, the most authentic, the most faith-filled, the most, like, for lack of a better word, the most like Christ when you're giving of yourself? I mean, how many have experienced that in life, whether you're helping somebody out, you're, you're committing resources of whatever it might be, it's because we were made to do that. And so as we give today, let's remember, as we give we, uh, we become more like Christ and reflect his character and nature. Lord, thank you for the opportunity today to give. And uh, as I say so often, it's such a practical way of us expressing who owns us. We love you, and we say thank you for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.
a few announcements today. Um, hey, just to let you know, too, uh, this is the time right now because we'll be receiving communion at the end of the service. Make sure you actually have a communion cup. We have them spread out all over seats, but sometimes last minute people are like, oh my gosh, I don't have a cup. So make sure you get that even now. That'll make your life a little easier at the conclusion today. So in your bulletin, we have announcements. And uh, Linda Mon faithfully puts these together. And we appreciate her for doing that on a, such a consistent basis. Uh, but hey, we've got this Saturday, we've got our ladies' breakfast and Bible study. Please make it out there, ladies. It's a great morning, as always. Sherry and her crew do a great job. So that's happening this Saturday. Uh, as we've mentioned in the past few weeks, we have our VBS coming up. Stellar is the theme. And uh, the website is there to be able to go ahead and uh, register and uh, be a part of that. Your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor's kids, be a part of that day for sure. Uh, tied into that, we've got uh, uh, a kids camp coming up. That's coming up July 10th through the 13th. And uh, the cost for that will be $215 due on June 5th. So plan accordingly. You know, I don't know how many, you know, uh, you know, $1.75 a day from now to then will get you a camp. I don't know what the number is, but just plan accordingly for that. That's coming up. Young Adults Bonfire is coming up this uh, Saturday, uh, excuse me, this Friday night at 7 p.m. Uh, Sam Kramer has uh, invited the juniors and seniors in high school, not junior high school, not middle school, but if, if your son or daughter is a junior in high school or a graduating senior, they can come on out and see what Young Adults is all about. That's happening this week. And then praise, we got some just some kind of save the date events we have, have for Praise Youth and things we have coming up, Guppy Gulch, our Home Mission Summer Serve and Tower Beach Day. And of course, as always, take advantage of our uh, adult classes that are happening on Wednesday nights. God bless you and it is so great to see you today. Thank you, Pastor Hans. Well, listen, before we get into the Word today, um, we have a group that is going on a missions trip to Chile, and they're leaving next Friday. 
And so I want Chuck Parsons, he's heading up this group, if you'd come. And those that are coming with you, we want to pray for you this morning before you leave next week. And um, all those, I don't know if everybody here tonight, we have a lot of people missing today. We've got some rangers and ranger leaders that are out of town. We have some others that are at other events. So I guess, is this your whole team or are we missing one? Gordy, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I heard he wasn't here. Hey, would you mind standing one more time with me and just reaching out uh, to these men? We really do pray God's blessing on you. We know you're going to be a blessing where you're serving and that construction project and ministry as well. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for each one of these who have volunteered their time, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord, that you're going to use them with their skill set, Lord. And not just with their physical skill set, but Lord, with their spiritual tenor. Lord, we pray, God, that you would... Just build relationships among one another, among those that they'll be serving with and serving for. And Lord God, I pray, Lord, your grace upon them, Lord, as they travel. God, I pray that every connection be smooth. Lord, I pray everything arrive there on time, Lord God, along with them, Lord, all their supplies. And, and Lord, I pray that it be a very, very productive week that they're there, Lord God. Father, just bless them in every way, Lord. I pray that you would not only give through them, but Lord, you would give to them while they're there especially. Keep them healthy and keep them safe. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you guys. Thanks again for going. Yeah, Chile, if you look at a map, is way down there. It's a long way. Um, Straight down, but... Nonetheless, it's a long way. So pray for them while they're gone. They're heading out Friday, and it's, it's at least a week, maybe a few days, 10 days. I forget what day they're coming back. But if you're related to them, make sure you know what day they're coming back so you can pick them up. So, all right, this morning, Revelation chapter 3, we're looking at the fifth church that's listed here in the book of Revelation. And, you know, all I want to say is, ugh, uh, this is Sardis. I got Sardis. I told Pastor Brand, I wish I had Thyatira. I guess Sardis. And you'll, you'll see in a while. But uh, So chapter 3, Revelation 3, verse 1 through 6. Let's just go ahead and read it. And then I'll, <laughs> then I'll talk about it. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes They will walk with me dressed in white, for they're worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father God, I I thank you for this book of Revelation. I thank you, Lord, for each of these churches. That when we look at these churches... We need to consider that they may be a mirror for us. Even today, 2,000 years later, they they might be a mirror for us. And Lord, I pray, God, that because this is God's word, that it's not only God's word to these churches 2,000 years ago, but it's 
your word to us today as well. And so, Lord, as we look at this church of Sardis, if we see any similarity at all, I pray that we would, that we would yield ourselves to your advice in these verses that we repent, that we change. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, this is the fifth church that's listed here in the book of Revelation. And just like all the other churches that Jesus has addressed, he's mentioning certain deficiencies. And, but I want you to understand, even as, he, even as Jesus gives these criticisms, I want you to understand that the, the problems that he's addressing are not terminal. Uh, they, they don't have to be perpetually crippling, but they are things that can and should be corrected. Amen? This church, I mean, just like the others, have drifted away from their moorings. And, and it happened in the first century. It can happen today as well. The church in Sardis, according to what we've just read, is not where it should be spiritually. If you know, if, 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 you, if, you had been a, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, then there's one simple truth that you have probably realized by now as a Christian, as a Christ follower, is that there's always room for improvement. And in, in, our, in our daily walk in Christ as a believer, there's always some room for growth. Every one of us, every single one of us is constantly called to grow, to become more mature, to be made more and more into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's biblical, by the way. That, and not that, not that we'll ever be perfect this side of heaven, but yet we are encouraged in Scripture to strive to become more like Him. As Paul told the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 12, he said, Not that I've already obtained all this, not that I have reached this goal, or I've already arrived at my goal, he says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. In other words, part of the Christian experience involves striving. It involves striving to become more and to become better. I honestly believe that one of the neatest things about being a Christian and I don't know if you can remember this. It's amazing how, you know, when, before I became a Christian, it seemed like I had so much free time. I had so much time. I had time on my hands, um, idle hands of the devil's workshop. That's it. I mean, I really did. I had enough time to get into all kinds of trouble. And now that I'm a Christian, I don't have time to get in trouble. I mean, I can accidentally, you know. But I really, as, as a Christian, there, there's no way, there's no way that we should ever get in a place where we're stuck. You know what I'm talking about? Stuck. Stuck in a rut. We should, we, we should never, never be stagnant. We should never be content with simply maintaining who we are or where we are in Christ. The Christian life was never meant to be one of boredom, nevertheless, complacency. And just as Jesus in the Gospels, he used the analogy when we first come to him and we accept him as our Savior, he used this term born again. We become born again. It really is. You start life all over again. Or you start real life for the first time. You become born again. You're starting a brand new life. And in those early stages, we are spiritual babies. Amen? And as spiritual newborns, we start out learning the basics of the Christian disciplines. We learn that praying is important. We need to read our Bibles. We learn, need to learn to be faithful in church attendance. It's a great analogy being born again. Born again. 
And the problem is, as I look at Scripture, and, and the history of the church as I look at Scripture, that some Christians, and the Apostle Paul addressed this a couple times in his, in his epistles, some Christians remain as infants. In Ephesians 4.14, Paul warns us of the dangers of remaining as infants when he writes this. He says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. That describes a world that we live in today. We live in a world of lies. We live in a world that's full of deceit. And you cannot survive if you choose to stay as a spiritual infant. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he writes, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, as infants in Christ. He's using that term again. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for solid food. In fact, you're still not ready, for you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and dissension among you, are you not worldly? Are you not walking in the way of man? And then back to Ephesians 4, this time verse 15. He says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. And I really think that the essence of the Christian journey is knowing that we, although we've not made it yet to perfection, because there's nothing perfect in this world. Everything was brought into a condition of decay because of the fall of man in the very beginning, the book of Genesis. Nonetheless, we need to desire to grow. We cannot remain in stasis. We need to always be striving. We need to always be desiring to become more in Christ. And the truth is that every now and then, we need, I say we, you individually, me individually, we need some recalibration in our lives. And that's because, you know what, we sometimes do get off the path. We get diverted. We get distracted. We get disoriented. And I'm telling you, I, I really see this in the life of today's modern church. There are so many distractions out there today. And, and, you know, so I say this based, on, based on, on, on just experience, our Christian life, but I also say this because when we read the message from Jesus through John to these seven churches, I think we can see the same thing happening there. But I want to caution you because there's one thing. Sometimes we look at these letters and, and we may think that they're letters of judgment or condemnation. And I want you to know that they're not meant to be harsh. He is not condemning them at this point. He does give them a warning. If you're not ready when I return, you know, he did give them a warning. But he's not condemning them. Jesus is not. He's, not he, he's simply providing them with some admonition and some exhortation. Something needs to be corrected. Something needs to be realigned. And he's bringing it right to them. He's not afraid to bring this word of exhortation to them. He's confronting them. And then as I, as I put this study together, I, I, I thought about something. I thought, you know what? If he were speaking to his church today, how would we respond? How would the modern church respond to his correction? Jesus correcting us. I really thought about this. I said, you know, would we ignore him? You know, that is one possibility. Would we discount him? Would we get angry and self-righteous? 
And and honestly, looking around at this current generation, and it's more than one generation, but I sense that today's generation is not comfortable with correction. People today really tend to chafe against correction. I mean, let's, let's admit it. Let's just, it's the elephant in the room. Let's admit it. We don't want to be corrected. And yet Proverbs chapter 6, verse 23, one simple verse. I love, listen to this. This is so rich. I'm telling you, this one verse alone is worth the price of admission today. Without a doubt. Proverbs 6, 23, listen to this. Correction and instruction are the way of life. Isn't that great? I mean, you can't possibly misinterpret that, right? You get it? I'm going to read it again. And, and you know, write it down on, on, on a, an envelope in your seat. You need to look at this. Proverbs 6.23. Proverbs 6.23. Correction and instruction are the way of life. If you cannot be corrected, and if you cannot be improved through some kind of correction, I pity you. Boy, that almost sounded like correction. So I want you to know, this letter to the church of Sardis is meant for their benefit. It's meant to bring them life. Jesus, he's not, folks, as I read it, he's not even scolding them. He's correcting them. And that's life. And it's also not only, as I said before, in the beginning, it's not only God's word to them, it's God's word to us as well. Because this is the Bible. So let's look at those first three verses again. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. <clears throat> I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. So wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you'll not know at what time I will come to you. You know, the most noticeable thing that we read here is about this church being dead. They have a reputation of being alive, a reputation of being alive, but they're dead. And of course, one has to wonder, how could they have a reputation of being alive and yet be dead at the same time? We'll hit on that in just a moment. But what I want you to see is just the very first verse. Where Jesus describes him as the one who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And you know, I read that and I realize that apparently Jesus felt the need to make it clear to this church who it was that was speaking to them. I mean, he makes, he makes it really clear. He says, I am the one who holds the seven spirits of God. I'm the one who holds the seven stars. So this is me. This is the morning star. This is me, Jesus Christ, your Savior. He even went so far as to say, wake up. Wake up. Look at me. Listen to me. And I wonder if he had to do that because they had become dulled to his presence. Really. You know, I mean, when one of you comes in here this morning or the cafe, I know who you are. I know when your presence enters and I see you. I know. But this church, could they have become so dull that they didn't really recognize Jesus? I guess if you're dead, you may not have that ability. 
And, you know, we covered some of this way back in March before we began this series in the book of Revelation. It was kind of a pre-Revelation message, and it was about being ready. And I'd mentioned to you that probably the greatest indicator of Christ's return isn't earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and you know how you read that in Matthew chapter 24. But I, I wonder, I wonder if the greatest indicator of Christ's return being imminent can be gauged by the level of complacency among Christians concerning his return. That's when I think he's coming back. I think he's coming back when we're not interested. That's when I think he's coming back. And this church of Sardis, I'll tell you what, it fits the bill. They are the poster child for complacency. So to answer the question about looking alive but being dead, the best explanation that I could come up with, and this is based on, on what I've read from, from commentators, is I think this church, this church is busy, so it looks alive, but it's not busy with the things that matter. They had an outward appearance. They had a reputation for being alive, maybe being very lively. Maybe they were doing a lot of ministry. Maybe they were exuberant in their worship style. But at their core, they were in actuality lifeless. And I, and I, to us today, our image of a dead church, if I were to ask you to visualize that in your own mind, what, is it, what does a dead church look like? You know, you, you, might, you might assume that, that they would appear quiet and somber in their worship style. Right? Oh, ee, oh, oh. You know, really, old Gregorian chant. I mean, it'd be some kind of really low-key worship. I, I don't, I don't, you know, they, maybe, maybe a dead church would have just a handful of people, not a lot of ministry going on in their calendar. That wasn't the case with this church. They were active. They looked very much alive. Actually, they mirrored their city. They, they replicated their surrounding culture as churches usually do. You know, churches have personalities. As much as we are very diverse, we really do have one personality. Praise Assembly has, has one overarching personality. And every, I believe every church does. And oftentimes it mirrors its culture because most of the days we're out there in our society. We're in culture and then we come together a couple times a week. And this was the same with Sardis. You know, you know, historians, they compare Sardis. If we were, an image of Sardis, according to these historians, is that it was very much like Hollywood or Las Vegas. It was full of opulence and wealth. And along with that, the best word to describe this city, just as we might want to describe our Las Vegas and Hollywood, was pretentious. That this church, Sardis, was pretentious. People generally pretended that they were something that they were not. And then add to that the general belief among their people that they were totally self-sufficient. They really believed it. They were wealthy. And unfortunately, as I, I hope you're aware, many times the church in our nation and our time period can easily adopt the culture that surrounds, whether it be here or some other part of our country. According to the word of, word of God, we're, we're called to be different. Even though we're coming from that culture, we still have to, we have to examine it spiritually and, and look at it. Is, it. is it affecting us or are we impacting it? But the reality is the church oftentimes mirrors its community. And when I think about this church, the people in this church in Sardis, I, I think if, if I were to speak to them, I'd, I'd read to them from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17, 5. Look at this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, 
who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. You know, that, that picture that Jeremiah, blessed is the one who truly trusts in the Lord, relies on the Lord, looks to God for being their resource for everything. That's where we ought to be as Christians, individually and corporately as praise assembly. But this church, Sardis, was pretentious. I really think that's the, the best word. They were flaunting their temporal abundance and ability. And as we just read out of Jeremiah, it began with the fact there's nothing worse than trusting in your own strength. And unfortunately, you know, let me, let me just throw this criticism out. A lot of churches in our nation, and I can only speak about our nation in particular, are very much into appearance. They're into performance. Again, if you compare, you know, what is a dead church? There, there are churches around here even that you can go to. And their, and their worship is, I mean, our worship is good. And I'll tell you how I know it's good, by the way, is we record our worship. And when you watch it on YouTube, our YouTube channel or on our, our website, it's really good. And I've listened to some other churches that have supposedly great worship and it's horrible quality. And it's, it's not editing. It's not that we've done anything to it. We really have good worship. Now, here's the thing. That's just me. My human ear is listening to it on YouTube. Really good worship is when God is happy. Not when it sounds good on YouTube. Not when I think, have you ever done? I mean, I used to do that. I used to do that. I'd, I'd, I'd walk out of here on Sunday morning and think, man, that was really good worship. And then one day I realized that you're not worshiping me. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter to me. The quality of it shouldn't matter. It's the reality of it that should matter. Folks, I'm telling you, I know churches that they will actually practice the entire service on a Thursday night or a Friday night. The entire service. Have it all scheduled down to the exact minute of when everything will happen. It's all rehearsed. You know what you rehearse for, right? A performance. That's what this church in Sardis was like. No, they had it down. Really, I bet, I bet if you walked in, you'd say, wow. Wow, this is a really cool place. And there's a lot of churches today like that. Again, the book of Revelation is meant to serve as a mirror for us today. There's really nothing new under the sun. Uh, isn't that in Scripture? Our God, our Heavenly Father, loves to worship. And true worshipers follow Him. They want to follow Him. They worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not a performance. And again, that, when you get to that performance level, it becomes pretentious. And I think that's offensive to God. first church I pastored, I started. And for a couple of years, we had no instruments. 
Can you imagine me leading worship? No, just my voice. I mean, nothing. No instruments. There were no background tapes to play back then. This is back a long time ago. The dinosaurs had already been annihilated, but this was a long time ago. And I'll tell you what, people, we would have visitors come to the church, and they felt that that worship was powerful. Not my leading of the worship, but us as a corporate body. The sincerity, the level of sincerity, the hunger and love for God is what mattered. See, that's what it means to be alive. You can have all the appearance of being alive and yet be dead, right? Amen. We just read that out of Revelation chapter 3. Because the, the, the beauty in all this is that God wants glory. Isaiah 48 verse 12 tells us that God will not share his glory with anyone. And you know that anyone means anyone. He will not share his glory with anyone. All glory is his. And story after story, all through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, every time that God acts, and he acts in his own power, and in his own sovereignty, he gets glorified. You know, when he takes an army of of 32,000 and chops it down to 10,000 and chops it down to 300, and gives him victory. He told him, he said, I want you to, I'm just, I'm only going to give you 300 men. And you're not even going to fight. Because I am going to prove that I'm God. He wants all the glory. He wants all the glory. He loves proving it. He loves doing the miraculous for his people. He loves for us to be dependent upon him. Now he does love to use us with his power flowing through us to astound the world around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, this is, this is our God. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised, even the despised things, the things that no one would even want to look at and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. I love that truth. God loves to use the small. He loves to use the despised, the unknown, the foolish things. He did that when, when he called Israel to be his people. And I, and I remember that one of the first things I ever studied in the Old Testament, I learned about in the Old Testament was, you know, if I were God and I were going to pick a people, I would, have went, I would have gone to the greatest people on earth at that moment. The Egyptians. Not God. He chose a small band of nomads, which eventually became, became, were called Israel. They lived in the very shadow of Egypt and even under their oppression. And God called them and he raised them up. And he did miracle after miracle. I mean, come on, guys, he fed millions every day. Remember, he told them, don't take any extra because it'll rot and it'll smell in your tent. Just go out every morning, take what you need. And then on, you know, before the Sabbath, take two days worth. And, and it's not just a miracle that he provided. It, it's a miracle that even when they had the two days, those two days, it stayed fresh for two days. In the New Testament, read of how he sent his own son, Jesus, into this world as an infant. He didn't, he didn't come in as some 
conquering king. He came in as an infant with no fanfare at all, just a a small audience of shepherds as we read scripture. He was then raised by a simple carpenter. I mean, Moses was at least raised in Pharaoh's household. Jesus comes in, he's raised by a simple carpenter and a young wife. He wound up with 12 followers, lost one, then went back to 12. God loves to work through the seemingly insignificant. Amen. And you know what scripture tells us? That he opposes the proud. I love that. He opposes the proud, but he loves, he gives grace to the humble. And that's found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. That truth is, is, is just timeless. And this is somewhat the problem in Sardis. In their minds, they thought they were doing church quite well. And that's really the crux of the matter. They were doing all the things that churches do, and they were doing them quite well. But something was missing. Almost like like Timothy. Paul wrote, Timothy said, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. They had a form of godliness. They looked good. They looked. They had a reputation for being alive. I'm going to close in just a few minutes, but three, three more verses here. Jesus states that there are some in the church who are in a relationship with him the way it ought to be. And he says, they will walk with me dressed in white for they're worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. So he assures them that there are some who are on target. They're living the way they need to be. And then he holds out hope for anyone else. If anyone else would be like these, I'll never, I'll never blot out their name. And so here's, here's the admonition. I'm gonna, I want to bring this down to just one summary statement, okay? What Jesus is telling this church is it's more important to be than to do. Now, being doesn't get you off, doesn't set you free from doing, but it's more important to be than it is to doing. In other words, doing churchy things does not win God's approval. Amen? It really doesn't. But being in relationship with Jesus is everything. It's everything. And you know, Jesus already taught this to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. Listen to this. This is, this is pretty heavy stuff. Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus is speaking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That almost sounds heretical. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any miracles? But then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from you, you evildoers. I never knew you. But Lord, we, we cast out demons in your name. We, we did miracles in your name. We prophesied. And he says, I never knew you. Can you see why being is more important than doing? Now, if we really know him, we're going to want to do for him. If we really know him, we're going to want. But doing for him is not the same as just being with him. Being in relationship with him. Just as a branch gains its sustenance from the vine. John chapter 15 tells us that. We're alive through our connection with the branch of Jesse. And that's Isaiah chapter 11. Doing things for God does not make you alive. Makes you busy. It'll make you look alive. 
and we can still be dead inside. And for that reason, the church in Sardis and we this morning are encouraged to deepen and strengthen our relationship with Jesus. It's that simple. Being is more important than doing. Let's pray. Father God, Lord God, we know that there's nothing more important for us and there's nothing that you desire more from us than being in relationship with you. That's why you sent Jesus, your son, to this earth. To die for our sins. To die for that which separated us from you. That which would condemn us to an eternity away from you. Father God, you sent Jesus to make a way so that we could be in fellowship, relationship with you forever. Here on this earth, though there are times when we struggle with distractions. and But Lord, you've, you've called us. You've called us to be part of your family. You want to have a relationship with us. You want us to be in relationship. And the doing will take care of itself. And Lord, I thank you that we don't have to prove our love for you through performance. We prove our love for you simply by being with you, wanting to be with you, desiring your presence in our lives. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you, there could be, there could be, someone, there could be someone here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God. You don't, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you can do that today. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Become my Lord and Savior. And he will do that. That's what, that's what he was sent here to do. To become our Savior and to become our Lord. And so if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not really on a personal, if you're not in a personal relationship with God through Jesus, you can let that happen right now in your own heart, in your own life. And what I'd ask for you to do as people, as Christians are praying, eyes are closed, if you just raise your hand where you are, you can say, yes, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And I want to ask him to come into my life to be my savior. If that's you, just raise your hand now. No one's looking around but me, just... And we can have a time of prayer this morning. You can invite him into your heart. Because that's what he desires. That's what he desires. Father God, I pray, Lord, for every one of us. That we would. That we would come to a place where we simply desire you more than all the other cares and distractions of life. Lord, that you would be first. Lord, in so many ways, these churches are very similar. Reading about Sardis almost reminds me of Ephesus. They left their first love. They went on to other things, other distractions. And just like Ephesus, this church needs to repent and come back to you. And you've encouraged them to do that. And I pray, Lord, that we too, Lord, that we desire that we would change direction if we need to and come back to you and get closer to you and be in good relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that this church, Praise Assembly, we're not, we're not putting on a show. Lord, I thank you that we're real. And I thank you that you, 
You've chosen us, Lord, to follow you, to be part of your family. And Lord God, that today, even today, Lord, we worship you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. At this time, Pastor Brandon is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper. If you will, go ahead and prepare your elements. Yesterday, I had to go uh, pick something up for my daughter. She's out of town. She said, Dad, can you go? It was the the eye doctor. Can you go get my prescription? She forgot her glasses and went to Florida. And I'll let her and Nick deal with who really forgot the glasses. I'm not sure who, but she was upset. So I, I go, and, and the lady says, okay, what's her birth date? And I was like, oh. And, and, and then I, I quickly said, you know, I, I know what it is. And she said, it's hard when you have more than one kid. She said, I actually have my tattoo here and a tattoo here of my kids' births. We have a lot of things that we need to remember, birthdays, anniversaries, Better make sure you remember to take your pills in the morning or the evening, however that is. Meetings, appointments, we have all of these things because we are prone to forget. Have you ever forgotten any of those things? I'm the only one that raised my hand. I heard, I heard acknowledgement, but yes, we are prone to forget. And Jesus said that every time we do this, we remember him. And I think it's important that this, there is none more important to remember. All of those other things in life, there is none more important than to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. And at the same time, this can, this can become so routine. We, we set a date, we do it, and we just go through it, and we go through it. You come in, you see it there, and you say, oh, that's right, it's communion today. This is something that as we remember, we need to take time. Remember means to contemplate and to slow down and think of what it is we're doing. What Christ has provided in his broken body and his his shed blood, we need to take a moment because life is so busy. We're here for a short time today and then we're gonna get right back into it. Can we take just a moment? I know it, it can, silence is always awkward. Take a moment as we approach taking the bread today and thank God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your broken body, God. Hallelujah. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. You did it all for love, for me, for everyone in this room, for the world, Lord God. Your body was broken. And today we say thank you, Lord. We, we stop and we remember and we contemplate, Lord God, and we think on such things, God. And may we never grow routine in that, Lord God, but remember all that you've done for us. In Luke's gospel, amen. In Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 22, in verse 9, it says, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Let's partake of that today. Hallelujah. 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 Father, as we consider the blood of Jesus, 
Lord, there, there's so much power that was shed on that cross, Lord God. But today we know it, Lord. We sing songs about it, power in the blood. We know that. But Lord, when we think upon it, we know it costs you everything. And we thank you today, Lord. We are the beneficiaries, no doubt, of all that you've done, Lord God. But we say thank you. Simply thank you for your blood in your name. Amen. He continues on. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Let's partake today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Stand together, if you will. Hallelujah. Lord, once again, Lord, thank you sometimes seems inadequate. But God, I know, as Pastor has said today, one way that we can show that we have seen what you've done for us, we've accepted it, is not only just doing what you've said, Lord, but we just become it. We be it. Lord, and as we walk into the world this week, as we walk out this church today, Lord, and go back to our lives as we, as we know them, Father, we pray, Lord, that we would be a reflection of who Jesus is. Help us, Lord God. Wake us up. Lord, let us not slumber. Let us not uh, just fall into a rut, Lord God. Let us be ever-growing, Lord, and, and dwelling in your presence, God. Go with us today. Father, bring the boys back safe from the Royal Ranger retreat, God. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you did amazing things in their lives, God, and let them testify it. Lord, for those that are not well in our congregation, Lord, we pray that you would touch them, Lord, and bring victory through healing, Lord God. And Lord, in all of these situations, let your name be glorified. Lord, if, if, if I am to be touched, Lord God, let me testify and tell somebody about it. But, Lord, there are those in need, and I pray that you would touch them in a great and powerful way. Bless us as we go. Bless our conversation as we stay in the sanctuary today, Lord God. And uh, just, Lord, be, be everything in our lives, God. May we focus in on you. We ask it today in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today.